This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where Tax Watch is releasing its annual list of legislative projects that somehow made their way into the new budget without following standard procedure. They call this the turkey list, and Tax Watch will be advising the governor to use his line-item veto power to hunt them down. Ron DeSantis signs a bill creating three sales tax holidays over the next couple of months. Along with the usual tax breaks for hurricane supplies and back-to-school supplies, there is something new this year. To celebrate both our economic and recreational freedom that we enjoy here in the Sunshine State, uh, this tax package will include the first-ever Freedom Week, which will be a seven-day sales tax holiday on outdoor recreational purchases, as well as tickets for events, museums, the arts, and, and more. Freedom Week, of course, includes the 4th of July. The hurricane preparedness tax break starts on Friday, and just in time because there's already been a storm out there before the official start of the season. Florida's new emergency management boss says this is becoming the rule rather than the exception. Hurricane season is starting earlier each and every year, so it looks like next year the National Weather Service may move that date up for hurricane season to May the 15th. So we want to be ready for that. And Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petrona says if you don't stock up during the tax holiday, you might regret it. Does everybody remember the challenge we had finding toilet paper just about a year ago? So, so we're, we're trying to make sure we don't duplicate that all over again. You can always count on the CFO to get to the bottom line. Despite all the help wanted signs across the state, Florida's unemployment rate was up slightly in April to 4.8 percent. Florida's April 2021 unemployment rate was a 0.1 percentage point increase from the March 2021 rate. Florida added almost 17,000 new jobs in April, but the workforce grew by 73,000 as more people went looking for work, so the jobless rate went up. The rise of social media and the decline of traditional media has created a brand new world out there. Orlando public relations expert Alex Armentano calls this the age of misinformation, and he says we don't seem to trust anyone anymore. Trust in all information sources is at historic lows. Search engines, uh, when you're curious about something, you Google it. Traditional media, owned media, social media, not a single one of these sources is trusted today. Later in the podcast, Armentano shares his three simple rules for countering misinformation and disinformation in the modern era. We'll also have your calendar of political events and two Florida person stories. There's a Florida man who found more than a million dollars worth of cocaine floating in the Keys and a Florida woman who led deputies and troopers on a high-speed chase in a stolen Cadillac while she was naked. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, March 24th. This is National Brothers Day, National Asparagus Day, and National Scavenger Hunt Day. On this date in 1818, General Andrew Jackson captured Pensacola. In 1962, astronaut Scott Carpenter launched from Cape Canaveral on board Aurora 7. In 1969, a cartoon band called The Archies released a single called Sugar Sugar. And for those of you who still believe 60s music was the pinnacle of rock, let me remind you this little tune was Billboard's Song of the Year in 1969. The Florida Department of Health reported 2,069 new cases and 13 additional fatalities from COVID-19 Sunday. That is the lowest number of deaths in seven weeks, but the death toll is still kind of staggering. It's reached 37,207. That's more than the population of Panama City or Aventura. Almost 8 million Floridians are now fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Two million more are waiting on their second shot. 
The governor and state lawmakers eliminated the last big tax loophole for consumers this year when they voted to impose the sales tax when you buy something online from outside the state. That will cost Floridians about a billion dollars a year, and they're giving back some of it by creating three new sales tax holidays. There are the usual tax breaks for back-to-school shopping and to stock up on hurricane supplies, but Governor Ron DeSantis is especially jazzed by a new sales tax holiday during the week that includes the 4th of July. To celebrate both our economic and recreational freedom that we enjoy here in the Sunshine State, uh, this tax package will include the first ever Freedom Week, which will be a seven-day sales tax holiday on outdoor recreational purchases, as well as tickets for events, museums, the arts, and, and more. And so we're proud of being a free state, we're proud of being open, and we want taxpayers to be able to benefit if they're participating. So, so we're really proud of that, and we're proud that, uh, that folks um, in Florida are able to enjoy that. And quite frankly, we have folks in other states that look to Florida as their refuge to be able to come down here, whether it's vacation, whether it's attending events, whether it's all these different things. So this Freedom Week is scheduled during the week of July 4th, it will exempt sales tax on the following eligible purchase purchases. Admissions to events scheduled between July 1st and December 31st, 2021. So that includes live music events, sporting events, movies, ballets, plays, music theaters, fairs, festivals. My daughter loves fairs. And so we took her to the Strawberry Festival down in Plant City and the Clay County Fair in Northeast Florida. So she's always asking me, Daddy, I want to go back to the fair, so now we'll save on our tickets, I guess, if we do that. <laughs> Use or access to private and membership clubs and uh, providing physical fitness facilities. You know, that's really important. You know, these bureaucrats ha telling us we have to keep these gyms closed, that's the dumb, I mean, that you should not be doing that. You want people to be able to be physically fit and be able to have access to this, and so we're proud that we've done that. Um, it also, uh, uh, no tax on entry to uh, state park, museum, including annual passes. So if you buy the annual pass, no tax, All, as well as season tickets for things like music events, plays, ballets. And then my favorite is uh, no tax on retail sale of specified boating and water activity supplies, yeah. camping yeah. supplies, fishing supplies, general outdoor supplies, and sports equipment in the sports, any individual or team sport. You know, so if you need batting gloves, if you need golf balls, if you need any of that, week of July 4th, you're going to pay uh, no tax up to a, up to a certain amount. So uh, I think this is really smart. I think it was really good. Um, and I'm happy that we're able to do this. Of course, the back to school sales tax, tax holiday will run for 10 days, uh, spanning July 31st until August 9th for certain clothing, school supplies, and the first $1,000 of personal computers and related accessories. The 10-day disaster preparedness tax holiday will run from May 28th through June 6th uh, for specified disaster preparedness items within certain uh, price ranges, including flashlights under $40, tarps under $100, batteries under $50, coolers under $60, and generators up to $1,000. The timing on that hurricane season tax break really couldn't get much better, what with Anna showing up before the season even started. Kevin Guthrie is the new boss at the Division of Emergency Management. He says they've already stocked up for a busy season. Hurricane season is starting earlier each and every year, so it looks like next year the National Weather Service may move that date up for hurricane season two. May the 15th. So we want to be ready for that. You can be ready for that as well. At the Florida Division of Emergency Management, we're, we expect to have an active hurricane season and we are preparing now 
by stocking up on supplies that we'll need during a storm. I'm encouraging all Floridians to do the exact same thing. To prepare for hurricane season, the division recommends having a disaster plan in place and a stocked disaster supply kit with at least five to seven days' worth of supplies. The disaster preparedness sales tax holiday begins May the 28th and runs through June the 6th. During this time, disaster preparedness supplies are tax-free. This is the best time to get the items that you need for your family in the event of a storm. The earlier you prepare, the better off you will be come June 1st. Having a, st a stock disaster supply kit is vital to an individual's hurricane preparedness. Your supply kit should contain everything you and your family will need during a storm, like water, medication, non-perishable food items, batteries, flashlights. When a storm is approaching your area, that is not the time to build your kit. The division is preparing for this upcoming hurricane season. In the last few weeks, we've met with national, state, and local county emergency managers, and we are, we've participated in hurricane exercises to improve our response. We have stocked up our disaster supplies. Right now, we currently have more than 2 million gallons of water, more than 100 meals ready to eat to be used to assist Floridians during a hurricane. We have secured special needs beds, cots, and other resources for local governments and Floridians in case we have to respond to a storm this season. We're encouraging Floridians to take other steps for individual disaster preparedness, including performing an annual insurance check of your home, your renter's insurance, your business insurance, your flood insurance. That is your first line of defense. Second, know if you live in an evacuation zone or not. Know if you live in a low-lying prone area. We call this know your home, know your zone. Listen to your local emergency managers and heed the warnings that they give you in time of emergency. But leave it to Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas to get to the real bottom line of the sales tax holiday for the hurricane season. We're trying to make sure that the sales tax benefit gives you motivation so you go out and get those resources now. You should go get the radios, the batteries, the generators, the supplies now as opposed to waiting when, when the emergency comes. Everybody remember the challenge we had finding toilet paper just about a year ago? So, so we're, we're trying to make sure we don't duplicate that all over again. You know, if Sherman ever decides to ditch the bears in their toilet paper commercials, the CFO would be a great replacement. Florida's unemployment rate has improved dramatically since the start of the COVID crisis when more than a million jobs vanished, but the jobless rate seems to be stuck on a statistical plateau for right now. Adrian Johnston is the chief economist at the Department of Economic Opportunity. She says the jobless rate increased one-tenth of one percentage point last month. Florida's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate in April 2021 was 4.8%. This was lower than the national rate of 6.1%. Florida's April 2021 unemployment rate was a 0.1 percentage point increase from the March 2021 rate. Miami-Dade County and Hamilton County had the highest unemployment rate with 6.9%, followed by Osceola County with 6.7%. Monroe County had the state's lowest unemployment rate with 3.2%, followed by St. Johns County with 3.4%. This unemployment rate represented 487,000 jobless individuals on the plus side of the equation, Justin says Florida added almost 17,000 new jobs in April, and most economic sectors are hiring. 
Eight out of 10 major industry sectors in Florida gained jobs over the month. Leisure and hospitality gained 8,100 jobs over the month. The other services industry gained 4,400 jobs over the month. The two industries to lose jobs over the month were government and trade, transportation, and utilities. 14 of the 24 metro areas in Florida had over-the-month job gains. The Orlando, Kissimmee, Sanford metro area gained the most jobs with 6,700, and Port St. Lucie grew the fastest with a rate of 0.9%. Other metro areas with notable job growth were the Tampa-St. Petersburg-Clearwater metro area, 2,000 jobs, and the Jacksonville metro area with 1,800 jobs. But along with those new jobs, there's been a surge in the workforce as 73,000 people enter the labor market, which is how you get a higher unemployment rate even as you're adding new jobs. But Johnston says that's actually a good sign that people are going back to work. Truth is, they may not have much choice. The rules for unemployment change at the end of the month, and applicants will once again be required to submit proof that they're actually looking for work every week while they're getting benefits. What's happening at the end of the month is that those individuals who are claiming benefits uh, through reemployment assistance uh, will uh, be required to submit uh, their work search um, responses. So that means that they are required to search for work and and to submit that to uh, DEO uh, when they file their weekly benefit claim. Uh, So with that, there's not a direct connection to the way that the unemployment rate is actually calculated. Um, However, as people are looking for work, they will be counted into the labor force. So remember that that unemployment rate is based on a survey of people. Um, So it's all about how they respond to that survey. So if they are encouraged to look for work um, and they do so, whether it's related to benefits or not, then they're going to be counted in the labor force. So that actually may increase uh, the the labor force numbers and it it could actually have an impact on the unemployment rate if that's the case. The job search requirement may not affect the overall number of people who are unemployed, but it will make it harder to get benefits. It's one more hurdle in a system that was, frankly, designed to discourage people from applying for financial assistance. There's been a lot of change in the media landscape over the past decade, and all the conventional wisdom has pretty much gone out the window. So how do businesses adjust in an era where woke customers are demanding more from their companies than just a good product? For that, we turn to Alex Armentado of Orlando, who specializes in corporate reputation and crisis communications for Edible. That's a PR firm that focuses on the food and beverage industry. He was featured on a webcast by the Florida Department of Citrus last week and had some advice on helping survive and thrive during the age of misinformation. Now, his audience here was the citrus industry, but his three simple rules for dealing with negative information in an era of mistrust and disinformation could apply to just about every business. We are living in weird times, to put it lightly. To define the misinformation era, some have called it an infodemic. There's a lot of different names for it, but the point is is less about the amount of misinformation and really about its impact. News, uh, false news, inaccurate news travels farther, faster, and deeper in every category, often by an order of magnitude. Trust in all information sources is at historic lows. Search engines, uh, when you're curious about something, you Google it. Um, traditional media, own media, social media, not a single one of these sources is trusted today. What is new, as we've said, is the impact that a false narrative can have. Um, On social media, a false story reaches 1,500 people six times faster than a factual story. Bad news travels faster. It has a greater impact. And if we think about this um, as, again, commodities or government entities uh, supporting those commodities or brands, 
Um, this has like a real business impact. That's that's different. 60% of consumers will buy or boycott a product based on a brand's response to current social issues. So again, it's not just about bad news spreads faster, but that it has a business impact. So here are three sort of simple tried and true methods for communicating with consumers in these uh, strange and fraught times as it relates to how people obtain information about the, the things they like and the things they consume. These are themes, um, not just tactics, but themes we hope um, you'll see come up again and again, in varying forms, sort of what not to do and, and what to do. So number one, go direct to consumers. Think about it like a game of telephone. A lot of the damage to business and industry is done the more, the longer the game of telephone is. Increasingly um, in our profession in, in communications and public relations and speaking with the press, there's this movement toward going direct to sort of cut out the middle person or alternatively going to outlets that are sought after by our consumers. No longer is it the big national newspapers of record. There's an outlet for everything, depending on what you care about. Go direct to consumers and speak to them in ways that uh, they'll understand. Speak science to scientists and speak wellness to consumers who prioritize that. Number two, find friends. The days of sort of pitching and getting a story are, are, are over in terms of um, impact. Now there's sort of paid amplification or um, putting a little paid spend behind good stories, sharing them on social media channels. Getting the piece of coverage you desire is really just the beginning of the journey now. Um, and so find friends, find friends who can turn up the volume on the issues you care about. Find friends um, who can help push back against things that are inaccurate uh, and communicate early. Um, by all means, communicate early. The idea of fact-checking um, for communicators is obviously really important. It's important that, that the record is set straight, but research shows and experience shows that it's even more important to get to people um, before they see something that's misleading or inaccurate. You've been listening to Alex Armentano, a crisis communications expert for Edible. Edible is part of the Edelman Group, which is one of the largest PR companies in the world. Time now to check out your calendar of events. The FSU Board of Trustees meets at 9 to interview three candidates to succeed retiring President John Thrasher. Florida Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran applied for the gig and did not make the final cut, but that has not ended the speculation or the rumors about a last-ditch effort to try to shoehorn him into the president's office. The Florida Transportation Commission meets at 10. Attorney General Ashley Moody holds a news conference at her Tampa office in 1015 to talk about hurricane preparedness. At 11, Florida Tax Watch holds a news conference to release a report about questionable spending projects in the new state budget, commonly known as turkeys. Trustees at the University of North Florida hold an online budget workshop at 1. The Visit Florida Marketing Council holds an online meeting at 1. They'll be reviewing their marketing plan for the upcoming fiscal year. And the trustees at Polk State College meet at 4 in Lakeland. Finally today, let's close the show with a couple of Florida persons. An unnamed Florida man discovered a bale of cocaine while snorkeling at the Keys. The large black plastic bundle was wrapped in tape floating near Craig Key. The snorkeler called the sheriff's office, which notified border control. And when they opened it up, there were 25 individually sealed bricks of coke that weighed a grand total of 68 pounds. The folks at Border Patrol say the drugs are worth more than $1.5 million, and they did not identify the Florida man by name for fear of reprisals by the smugglers who lost their coke. They're just calling him a good Samaritan for turning it in. 
And a naked Florida woman is accused of leading troopers on a high-speed chase through several counties at more than 100 miles per hour. The pursuit began when deputies from Gilchrist County spotted a stolen Cadillac heading south on Interstate 75 into Sumter County. A highway patrol trooper spotted the caddy in Hernando County, and when he tried to stop the vehicle, it sped up to 110 miles per hour. Troopers performed a pit maneuver to run it off the road, and when the car stopped, 24-year-old Rachel Lynn Stefanich of Plant City emerged, minus any clothing. She's been charged with grand theft auto, reckless driving, fleeing and eluding, possession of meth, and driving with a suspended license. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 